The Psychedologist. Laura May Northrup is the creator and host of the podcast Inside Eyes, a series that explores the use of entheogens and psychedelics to heal sexual trauma. She's a practicing psychotherapist and educator. Her work focuses on defining sexual violence through a spiritual and politicized lens and supporting the spiritual integrity of our collective humanity. Laura is a champion of living more fully engaged and responsible lives through the healing use of entheogens and psychedelics. She lives and works in Oakland, California. I'm deeply grateful to Laura for doing this series and for being an amazing friend and comrade. I feel very lucky that I got to cross paths with her this year, and we've had a lot of amazing conversations. This is only one of them. So um, please enjoy, and I invite you to um, be aware of yourself, your body, and take care of yourself as you listen to this conversation as um, we are talking about sexual violence and a whole other landscape of things. But um, please do whatever you need to do to feel well and grounded listening to this. All right, should we take a collective breath together? Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) So I just took this consent workshop two days ago, Betty Martin's Wheel of Consent, and I have this whole new relationship to checking in with my body, which is thinking about my head my heart, my gut, and my genitals. And that was like the guidepost. And so it was really nice as I took that breath preparing for the episode to start. I uh, had like sort of like a chakra check-in and wow, just, you know, uh, (laughs) I just wanted to share that with you. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, something interesting about that is that um, the largest masses of your nervous system are in your head and your heart and your guts. Um. And I don't know how much of it is in your genitals, but I mean, I, I do think that's an area of the body that's very sensitive. So there's obviously a lot of nerves there. Um, but I'm kind of curious if that's like possibly the fourth largest mass of nervous system material. Right, right. Well, how could it not be with it being the most sensitive part, right? Our lips, our fingertips and our genitals are most sensitive to sensation, I think. Yeah, that would be cool. That would actually be really good for me to know as a somatic psychotherapist. <laughs> because I talk about how, you know, your head and your heart and your guts have the most, like those, that kind of is like your brain in a lot of ways, or it's like the most largest mass of nervous system material. But I, you know, I hadn't really thought about that your genitals could be grouped in with that too. And I think that's just such a loss. One of the huge losses of somatic sex education and work being illegal in the US is that like, I bet that you didn't learn about genital touch that much in your training, right? Or at all? No, I didn't. I mean, I think because the field of psychotherapy has a a very um, painful history of uh, therapists uh, sexually abusing their clients, um, that it's just the the sort of the way that like the backlash against that within the psychedelic, uh, the, not psychedelic, the psychology world is you know, just very, very strongly that you should not be touching your clients. Um, And some of that, I mean, I think makes sense. Um, And then also as a somatic psychotherapist, like I know that um, a thing that was sort of talked about in our training is um, if touch is so healing, then why wouldn't we do it? Um, But I mean, I think we're living in a culture that just doesn't embrace very much um, around nuance and it's not a very attuned culture. And so, and we have so many issues with consent in our culture that it is a thing that I think it's sometimes better to air as a psychotherapist on, um, you know, you just, you need a lot of training in order to be able to incorporate touch. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel like is the most excellent segue to me welcoming you to the show. And thank you for being here and coming on to talk about inside eyes and other stuff. Thank you. I'm excited to speak with you today. So can you let me know more? I don't actually know the backstory of how you came to the place of wanting to create this amazing podcast, which I've, I'm just, I wish that you would give me insider access and let me listen to all the episodes at once because I just can't (laughs) wait, but I'm not going to ask for that. I'm going to be good. Um, But yeah, how did you get the, the motivation and the idea to do this? Yeah, well, you know, what's funny, I'll just say almost all the episodes are finished. Um, And uh, except for the last, the last three episodes, I'm still 
working on editing and doing some interviews for them. Um, but, uh, yeah, so let's see. Um, so I've been working with sexual violence, um, as a psychotherapist, uh, for the last seven years. And then I, before that working on, um, like issues around sexual violence and working with survivors and working with people who have caused harm has been something that has just been a part of my life since, I don't know, my very early twenties. Um, and, you know, just coming up in kind of alternative communities, it's something where, um, obviously it, it happens all everywhere. Um, and, uh, like in every community. Um, and there was just like early on in my life, like questions about like, well, how are we going to deal with this? And how are we going to deal with this outside of the system of police? Um, because oftentimes going to the police is re-traumatizing to survivors. And if you're in a community, um, with people where, you know, maybe the situation is like, not that somebody committed some kind of violent rape, but like somebody has just like really bad boundaries and doesn't understand, um, like, you know, just like smaller things. Um, and so there's all these questions that came up around healing and, and how to engage around that. So it's been something that I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, but then as I became a therapist and I specialize in working with, um, adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse, there's just this place that people reach in their healing um, where you can go to a lot of therapy, you can try all the medications. And I think Spring Washam talks about this in the first episode. Like, you know, you can do your holotropic bath work and you can do, you can do all these different things. Um, and a lot of survivors of sexual violence, especially more severe, complex trauma where there's been a lot of sexual violence, um, often reach a place where they've done so much healing and they just can't make it past that place. And I think for people who are survivors and and hear that, like at least all the ones I've talked to are like, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, and people are making it past that place with entheogens and psychedelics. I mean, people are living in some circumstances without PTSD anymore. And that's, really profound because sexual violence impacts people for the rest of their lives. It's, it's a very um, difficult uh, experience to, I don't want to say overcome because I think it's more like grow with mm -hmm. um, and heal from. And so that was really the thing that sort of made me more um, excited to do this series. Uh, and I think also just at the time that we're in, um, there are more people who are willing to talk about sexual violence and more people who are open to the use of entheogens and psychedelics. And it just seemed timely and reasonable to do. And so, yeah, I just kind of one day was like, I'm going to do it. And I've been thinking about it for a long time and thinking about it like, oh, would I do a series that was just on sexual violence or um, on responses to sexual violence? I used to work with the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective and um, I think they do really amazing work and, you know, just that, that doing that work was really inspiring. So I had a lot of ideas about what I would do, but basically just through soul searching also, I've realized that my kind of role in this um, movement is in support of survivors. Thank you for that. Did, would you give us an idea of the flow of the series? Yeah, sure. So um, basically, there's 11 interviews that are interviews with um, survivors of sexual violence. And it's like, interviews with people who have had experiences all the way from like, severe ongoing childhood sexual abuse to um, being in a place where like, they maybe actually aren't even sure if there's ever been um, like, some kind of sexual violence, but there's like, sort of a feeling like something happened. Um, or there's one interview that I love this interview because I think a lot of people can relate to it. It's an interview that's, um, it's just about sort of sexual violence in the sense of like, um, the non-physical form of sexual violence that happens through just being in a culture that's sexually violent. That was what I was um, thinking about as like why it might be hard to heal from it too. Yeah. That, that we're in a culture that's like ongoing sexual violence all the time. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's a huge question that I have as a therapist and just a person is like, when you're healing from a trauma that's related to oppression, and the oppression keeps going, what's life look like then? 
And I think a lot of times people um, in sort of the psychology world uh, can get really narrow and think about violence like it only happens in the home. And so it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe you grew up in an abusive home life, but then you leave and then you get to decide who you're around and then you get to escape the wounding. And for some people with a lot of privilege, that can sort of be the case, though I do think that you could make an argument that I think even if you're experiencing a lot of privilege, you're still experiencing uh, a lot of negative aspects of our culture. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, for a lot of people, the culture is what's abusive. Like, you're never going to escape racism and sexism and transphobia and ableism. So there becomes like a question more of, well, then how how are we going to live our lives um, that in a way that supports us, considering that a lot of these abuses continue? Or there's just the threat of them. Like, I know that, you know, most people, especially I think people who are female identified, feel afraid to walk around at night by themselves. And like, we don't necessarily talk about it openly, but we're constantly navigating the fear of sexual violence. It's it's all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if I answered your question. Was that... <laughs> well, yes. And you know, that was like beyond what I was hoping for. So I'm happy. Yeah. And I well, I also oh. wanted to know how, like, what are the episodes about? Yes. Yes. And I'll, <laughs> I'll, sorry, I'll throw that in too. So basically I did these 11 interviews and then I was like, okay, I need to have like more context. So episode one um, is where I really present like the intro to the series and kind of like the other piece about why I think entheogens and psychedelics are so effective in working on sexual violence is that I really think of sexual violence from a spiritual perspective. Um, and, uh, and, and entheogens and psychedelics, I think are a type of healing that, um, really address the spirit, the spiritual level. So episode one is a lot about spirituality and about integration. Um, and episode two is a lot about how these, medicines are accessed or might be accessed or won't be accessed and why. And I think that's really critical because a lot of people that I talk to just sort of in the general public think, oh, this is all about to become legal. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what's happening. (laughs) Like some MDMA is very likely to be medicalized. That's really different than being legal. Um, You know, entheogens very specifically in Oakland have been decriminalized, but that doesn't mean that they're legal. Um, and so uh, there's still going to be in the coming years, like a lot of restrictions around access. So I wanted to include that in the series. Then after those first two episodes, there's the 11 episodes of survivors and and they're just kind of all, you know, mixed in. I, I didn't, I put them in a flow that made sense to me, but I don't know that it's something I can articulate. Mm-hmm. And then the last two episodes are one about um, actual sexual violence that happens in psychedelic and entheogenic spaces, because that's a huge issue, mm-hmm. right? Like just because people go there to heal doesn't mean that in those spaces, we don't have all the same issues that the rest of the culture has. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final episode is about psychedelic harm reduction. And I'm sort of taking a spin on that, which is, It's about harm reduction in the sense of the person who's intaking um, the medicine. Um, And uh, it's about looking at harm reduction in terms of, and this part I know we talked a little bit about, kind of relates to cultural appropriation. Like if if we're using medicines um, that have, really any medicine that we're using, like how are we being in right relationship to the, the actual medicine, the plant, the spirit of that plant, the people who have stewarded that plant, the land that that plant comes from. Um, like, how are we being in right relationship with all of those aspects of, of doing this kind of medicine work, which is a huge issue in the U.S. because a lot of entheogens are currently, uh, the way that we're using them in the U.S. is that um, there's either a, a going, so U.S. citizens going to... Um, other countries and doing sort of a type of spiritual tourism, or I've heard it called spiritual extractivism. Mm. Um, And then uh, the alternate is to take those medicines and then bring them to the U S and we kind of talked about this. So this, this is in the second episode too, that um, Ismail Ali talks about, um, you know, that there can be an element of just going in 
and taking just the medicine um, and really not being in very uh, sort of much integrity with um, what the people who are the land and the people and the plants are going through. Um, for example, like deforestation and colonization um, and just a, a number of like economic and human rights abuses that um, are uh, like huge issues. Like we can't just go into a community and take a medicine away and bring it back and be like, oh, this is all about me and my healing. Um, but rather how to be in relationship that uh, is m- more like supportive, essentially. Yeah, more reciprocity. Yes, Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, something that you said a little earlier about um, psychotherapy not necessarily giving the right amount of attention to uh, the trauma of oppression and structures of oppression that uphold, you know, a a climate where we are, you know, a climate that's fertile for trauma to to take place and to take root. Um, I think that's similar for the psychedelic movement in a way too. I know this is a little bit getting off of the podcast. Um, oh yeah, that's fine. We don't have to talk about the podcast, <laughs> but let's go. <laughs> I mean, it's all, it's all related. And I think that psychedelic assisted psychotherapy um, has a lot of potential if it, you know, if we recognize that this is one node or like one spoke on a, a, a wheel where we also need to support people doing um work to, you know, bring awareness, you know, got to start with awareness of these systems. Uh, and then, you know, all the other parts that follow changing laws, changing norms, and um, the ways we communicate with each other practicing consent. Yeah, any thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. And um, so there's this book called the um, Politics of Childhood Sexual Abuse by Nancy Whittier. And I, it, I found it to be very interesting. And it gives kind of a history of when um, when child sexual abuse sort of became like a thing people were talking about. And um, one of the things that happened when people were talking about it is people were like coming out and having these groups and they were really like community led groups. Um, like people were doing healing with each other. And then this thing, this phenomenon happened where um, it became more medicalized. So it became you need to go to a professional, to a therapist who specializes in this, not like your community group. Um, And I think that there's a similar kind of vibe with um, some aspects of um, medicine use, like entheogen and psychedelic medicine use, where it's like, you need to, now this this healing is becoming professionalized. Um, And I think there's a similar reason probably with the movement around sort of bringing light to um, the epidemic of child sexual abuse and the um, making entheogens and psychedelics like more accessible is that there's sort of this like legitimizing of it. Um, and while I can see some of the benefits of that, it it also just it really disempowers people and um, and creates an environment where it feels like it's it's really unsafe or or it's going to be ineffective for you to do any kind of community-based healing. Um, and there's one episode, this an episode with a person named Tanya in my series that what I love about that episode is that she just goes and eats a ton of mushrooms by herself. <laughs> and she has a she has a plan, she has a therapist, and she has like people kind of not at her house when she does it. Um, but I love the DIY aspect of it. I am not, condo- I'm not saying like everyone should do that. I think it's actually a pretty scary thing to do. Um, but you know, she gets a ton of healing out of it. Um, and I just, I do think it's important to recognize that, um, these, uh, these, these medicines don't necessarily need to be provided in, in those contexts where there's like this really sort of like professionalized space. Um, and they haven't been for like, I mean, not, I would say they have been provided by medicine workers, but it's been a really different sort of context um, for generations. And in terms of this piece around unpoliticizing it, um, I think that that is an aspect of professionalizing it. And, um, you know, definitely in the field of psychology, it tends to be, at least for the past, it's t- and, and I think it's changing, but it has tended to be upper class white men 
and then now kind of upper class white women who really are um, make up the bulk of the field. Um, and there's a there's a com- definitely a, uh, an unpoliticizing of sexual violence. And then I think I can completely see this in the sort of psychedelic and entheogen space is that there's like an unpoliticizing. And that's just always going to lead us to a, a, there's a there's a level of healing that does not happen when we when we try to pretend that we're not connected to the rest of the world um and that the level of violence and oppression in the world is is not something that is everybody's responsibility hmm i'm curious to hear more about that last statement if you're willing at this moment sure can you say more about what you mean yes what i heard was that it's not everybody's responsibility to address the things that lead to sexual violence. Oh, no, I'm saying, like, liberation is everyone's responsibility. Like, when you just go say, okay, I'm going to go take this huge dose of mushrooms and heal myself, but I'm not going to address any of the sort of cultural dynamics happening around this or consider myself in a position in the world that's related to other people, um, and, you know, whatever levels of, like, privilege and oppression I'm existing in, that that is, there's always going to be a space that doesn't get healed. Got it. Got it. Yes. Okay. Like, that's just so integral to our healing. No, I'm saying the exact opposite. And I think with sexual violence, like, you know, even in the making of this series, a number of people have said to me, oh, that's really niche. I wonder if anyone's going to want to listen. And that that statement is... Haters! It's... (laughs) Well, it's just really embedded in the defense system of the world, which is sexual violence isn't happening very much. Not that many people care about it. When actually, it's a huge epidemic. Like, so many people are experiencing sexual violence. And I really, I like to say, like, to people when they're like, oh, like, that's a niche or that's, you know, my thing is sexual violence actually impacts everyone. It impacts people who are who are actually experiencing sexual violence, but it also impacts people who are afraid for their loved ones to experience that, um, like parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much every parent I've ever talked to on some level is terrified of their children being sexually abused mm-hmm. and do, do a lot of things to prevent that. Um people, you know, people can fear for their partners, people can fear for their siblings, like it's it's actually just something that's affecting all of us so deeply. And I think that it's just a really big um, sort of like numbing out and defense system to, to, to think like, oh, this doesn't actually affect me when it does. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I think it has, it's, it, it has effects sort of the way that alcoholism has effects, right? It's like a family disease or like a social disease. Sure, sure. Yes. And and that too, I mean, like, I think that the field of psychology can get very into just looking at everything from a family perspective. Um, and that's kind of what we're talking about today. And I think that is a direction that psychedelic medicine in some ways can kind of go where it's like, oh, this is just to treat your PTSD. Um, but, you know, we're all we're all connected in this world that condones a lot of violence. It's it's we can't just extract ourselves and just work on one little piece of our trauma and not think about it in the larger cultural context that we all exist in. Right. Yes. After Toni Morrison passed away this week, I posted a quote from her on my wall kind of about that. Um, She said, when you get the I tell my students is what she said. I tell my students when you get these jobs that you have been so brilliantly trained for, just remember that your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. That Absolutely. one, yeah, and it speaks to me in this situation too because you know you mentioned transformative justice, and what my experience has been so far is that there are some people who are marginalized a lot of transformative justice is like the work is being done by people who've experienced harm people who've been marginalized and it's like on the surface it can especially if it's not done well and it's like you know the survivors needs aren't being centered or the harmed parties needs um 
you know, or if it's like hard to center their needs, like maybe they don't want to participate. It can really appear that it's for the person who caused harm and that there's this tremendous amount of resource being put into them. And uh, I'm trying to remember now why I was saying this. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. Ah, it's like, okay, so when it comes to this work, I guess what I'm feeling some discomfort about is how um, you're taking on so much to do this, right? They're the the healers are like who heals the healer type thing. I'm not I'm not saying that you need healing personally, Laura, but that uh, that oh, it's like I guess if people haven't been impacted by it, like what's going to make them go out and try yeah. to help someone? Yeah, this is, I mean, in in social justice land, right, people say, like, you know, you don't have to do that education for other people, like the person who's oppressed. It's like, you don't have to do that education for anyone else. And, you know, you shouldn't have to tell anybody about your experience or something. And I 100% am behind that idea. And reality is that we do. Mm-hmm. Like, reality is that it's just a part of our lives that really sucks. Like, uh, if you... Um, if you've experienced a harm, you know it deeply. And then when you, you know, heal through it or yeah, like it's, it's you. And and I think it's kind of one of those things where kind of the way that I would interact with it with a, with an individual person, if somebody was like, Oh, somebody is, you know, asking me to educate them about something that they did that was hurtful. Um, my response to the individual person is you don't have to do that right? Like, is there someone else in your community you could ask to step in? You don't have to be the one who takes on that emotional labor. But my response to, uh, like, our larger sort of community or to what it's like to be in that role is to also just be with the reality that that is something that we end up shouldering. And and it's it's not right. And it's an aspect of reality. Because, like, like I know as a white person, the most incredible like knowledge that I've received around racism and undoing my own racism has been through listening to and reading and, and like just understanding more of experiences of people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like that like white people are are very, very integral in um like spreading information about how to um, undo racism and be more of an ally, but uh, and confront white supremacy. And like, we're not like, we're not equipped to like, understand that to the level that we need to without information from the people who are oppressed by racism. And I think the same thing goes for sexism. Like, I know that for myself, um, I I don't I don't enjoy having to educate <laughs> like cis men about sexism. I love to be able to choose when I want to do that. Um and I also know that collectively like all people who identify as women and you know in that that's an inclusive uh, I want to use women in an inclusive way um that that labor does fall on us sometimes. Yeah, I've same um what everything i've learned about um like being a better being in better solidarity with trans people has come to me through trans people and same about racism and um yeah i think it's like i think the difference comes with when it's expected of the person or it's like if because the person chose not to do it that that's like selfish or unfair or something or they're they're, that they're doing anything wrong at all because it's absolutely not wrong to say no ever. Oh, yeah. Um, you can to- say no. You do, you never have to do that emotional labor if you don't want to. A- and like on an individual level, I think we get to choose that. And this goes back to the thing that we were just talking about. Like, how can you be in right relationship with someone who is offering you something that is so informative to you and so important in your own healing process and so important in your ability to fight for the liberation of all people? How can you offer something back? And I mean, one of the most, unfortunately, because we live in capitalism, <laughs> one of the ways you could do that is monetarily. Pay them. Um, yeah, is that you can pay people. Like, you know, yes, there's like, 
you can pay people. And also, I mean, I think another thing is like, um, for example, when someone writes a book, like you could look at like Janet Mock writing Redefining Realness. Like I really enjoyed reading her book. Um, she wanted to write her book. She put it out there for people to read. Like there's also a lot of people who put the resources out there all the time and have chosen that as a path to the point that we don't actually need to force any individual person to like educate us at this point. I think there's just, there's a million podcasts, there's a million YouTube videos, there's a million books. There are many lectures, like there's so many resources out there. You know, you can probably go and get a lot of the information you need without being like, Hey, you individual person in my community, you have to tell me about this right now. So yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. Do you have any favorites off the top of your head that you refer people to if they're asking about, I don't know, sexual violence or anything else and you just don't want to go there right now? Gosh. Well, now I'm going to refer people to my podcast. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and I, I fucking do that too. I'm like, every hour I've recorded on this, at some point I've said to somebody, oh, I think you would really benefit from this episode. And like, boom, I just saved myself some time. Yeah, no, that is that is the nice aspect of putting you know, hundreds of hours of labor into something that you make is now you can just, yeah. Do you think Janet Mock does that? Do you think she's just like, read my book? <laughs> Maybe. And, and, and she should, I mean, she put a lot of work in. Um, but so, yeah, you know, I think one major resource that I'm always telling people about is the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective, because I think that they do really incredible work. Um, I learned so much about from being in that um, community And um, they have a website that has like a resource list on it that's got, they have just compiled so much important information around like survivor support and responding to um, somebody who has caused harm, sexually harmed somebody. Um, They just have like an amazing resource list that has, yeah, just lots of really good articles. And um, I think it even has some audio pieces where it's like people really go into their own story and kind of explore like a case of accountability and how they did it. Yeah. It's I'm I feel like I'm coming back around now to reciprocity and that um you know if someone's asking you to do the labor at that moment I know th- this is like this is not as completely relevant to what you were just mentioning. And I had to Google Janet Mock because I'm ashamed to say that I don't know who she is. Oh, she, that's okay. You don't she have to know she is amazing. She she's amazing. She's you know, she's like a a very public figure um and and came out as trans uh or she has been she's been trans for a long time she's been trans her whole life but she came out publicly yeah. um some years ago and i i just i love Janet mock sweet yeah i'm gonna check something out by her um yeah yeah okay so instead of going where i was just gonna go which was just relating to if if you're asking for someone to educate you, think about the reciprocity in it and like maybe what you could do for them, like we were saying with money and um and all that. What I want to hear more about from you, if you're willing, is how how do you think that sexual abuse is a is a form of spiritual abuse? And then is that in some relation to how entheogens can help heal because they are healing maybe broken parts within our spirit or like helping us spiritually. Sure. Yeah. Well, so, and I, I quote Audre Lorde in the, um, in the first episode of the series. Um, and I think, and Spring Washam kind of talks about this too, um, in the first episode of the series. And I, I don't think it's a completely like, I think a lot of people share this idea, but I think for some people it's probably a, just a sort of different shift to think about yourself. But, um, our sexuality, our ability to desire, um, our ability to feel pleasure um, and joy uh, and excitement and, and these kinds of things, it's very connected to our life energy, to our sort of like a, our life force energy, I think mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. as. And when that is attacked, um, attacked, violated, made to feel unsafe, um, we shut down. And spiritually speaking, like there's so much power in being an embodied person, um, in being an embodied person who is connected to sexuality. And, and when I say sexuality, like I think, 
I just want to put some context on it that a lot of people are probably hearing that and thinking sex. And I'm, I'm not meaning it like that. I'm meaning like really connected to a deep sense of your own personal power, desire, joy, pleasure. Um, that's, that's very, very empowering to be able to be connected to those things and be able to be in your body. Um, And so I do think of it as a spiritual impact um, to become really disembodied uh, through sexual violence. Um, Like I think of it as an attack on the spirit and, and that ties into the politics of it, which is that, you know, when you become really disembodied and really disempowered, it's, you're disempowered. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. and when there's masses of people who are attacked with sexual violence, like we become disempowered as, as a mass. Um, and I think that entheogens and, and psychedelics have the capacity to really bring us back into our bodies. And I think that, you know, each of them is different. Like when we talk about these medicines, you know, we're lumping ketamine, MDMA, ayahuasca, iboga, LSD, like all into the same sort of soup. And they're all very, very different. Um, but I do think some of the more powerful entheogens um, have the capacity to just go in and heal you on a spirit level. And there's a lot of ways that people try and measure that and explain it on a, in a scientific way. And I'm not going to try to. Like, I just know that it heals people on a spiritual level. Mm. Do you think MDMA does that too? I think MDMA has the capacity to do, to do incredible healing work. Um and uh, there's an episode in the end where I talk a little bit um, more about this with one of my guests. Um, you know, all of these things do really different types of healing work. And uh, I think um, it really depends on the person, what your response to the medicine is. And also, like, I think, and we can get more into integration and preparation, but I think it also depends on where you are. Um and yes, certainly I think MDMA does a level of spiritual healing for sure. Yeah. Oh, oh so I know that I now want to ask about integration, but I just remembered something I wanted to say earlier and I didn't get the chance, Go which for it. is, uh, thank you, that um, when we were talking about, um, it was before we talked, to, we we're starting to talk about cultural appropriation and, and respect and um talking about like the the settings to take the medicine in I guess or like the um the right situations and psychedelic assisted psychotherapy and I wanted to say that um I'm a big fan of the idea that that recreation is healing and fun is healing and pleasure is healing and um I think that so I I like coach and consult or you know however I support people who take drugs and pe- when people have never taken a substance and they're you know asking me how to prepare I find that they're trying to um, cover all the bases so that they have this like and it it, be- it makes it very serious so that they have this experience mm-hmm. that brings them what they they think that they need or what they think psychedelics can give them or whatever the they're trying and um, and it's like I I'm, I almost want to start uh, reminding people to consider like to let your intention be like, I want to have fun and and feel something that I haven't, you know, I, that I wouldn't otherwise feel today if I didn't take this. And I want to be open to whatever comes through because when it, when it gets super serious, it, it's, and I'm not shaming at all. I mean, I, I certainly get very serious myself. So let me just speak to myself here. Um, it's okay to just take it because it might be fun and it's fun to explore and adventure something. I completely agree with that. And I, I think that um, one something that happens when you've experienced a lot of violence, um, sexual violence or otherwise, is that it becomes harder to play. Mm-hmm. And play is so healing. It's so essential to who we are as human beings. And, and I think it's also really healing. And this also does, I think, kind of tie into the integration piece in, in kind of a roundabout way, which is that also I think a lot of people are looking at these medicines like, I'm going to go in and do this once. It's got to, you know, I'm going to have that experience that I saw somebody YouTubing about where like everything is healed. It's 10 years of therapy in one night. Um, And so people put a lot on each journey um, and, and do try to get really, really serious about it. 
um, when I, I completely agree with you that like recreational use can be healing. Like what would it be like if you approached a journey through a, with a playfulness of like, I don't know exactly what's going to happen and here's my intention and I'm open to, you know, what needs to happen. Um, yeah, that's, I, I just, I agree with you about the play piece and I think recreational use is, can be really healing. And I think a lot of people in the psychedelics world want to like, sort of reject recreational use to again legitimize um uh this type of healing but i'm not i'm not part of that camp <laughs> yeah yeah so what do you think about integration or what do you want to say to people as we approach wrapping up but we we still have plenty of time but yeah yeah so um well i think t- tying back to what we just talked about um one thing about these medicines, especially for, I'll speak more specifically to sort of people who are survivors of sexual violence. Um, I think anybody who's trying to go into this work needs to be knowing that you're probably going to do more than one journey if you're really trying to like do a lot of healing around sexual violence. Um, and we, and I talk about that with different people in, in the series um, that, you know, nobody that I interviewed was, like, yeah, I did one journey and I feel like I live PTSD free and I'm fine. Um, really, there's a building of a relationship to whatever medicine you're called to use over a period of time. And um, preparation and integration at the at like like bef- before and after, basically, I think is really, really, really important. And I especially think it's important for survivors of sexual violence because there can be so much lack of holding that happened around the original abuse. Um, Like oftentimes um, there's a lack of holding that actually like children who experience neglect um, or adults who are, um, you know, like have experienced other forms of abuse are more likely to experience sexual violence. Um, And so oftentimes there is, um, some level of uh, neglect or just lack of holding that's already happening. And then, as we know in our culture, most of the time after sexual abuse uh, or some form of sexual assault happens, there's a lack of holding afterwards. And so it's just very, very critical if you're working on that in this type of space that you really give yourself the holding b- before and after and and sort of ongoingly in order to integrate the experience. Um and I, I talk about this in the series too, that, you know, like everybody that I interviewed in the series is, is doing more than just going in and working with a medicine. Like there's, there's work with, you know, a therapist or there's meditation practice, or there's just more, um, uh, pieces to help you integrate. And I think, mm-hmm. again, like we're talking about therapy, but I, I or I'm talking about therapy, but I don't want to completely just emphasize that, like also being in a community based peer support group, I think is a really amazing way to do integration work. Um, but just the big thing I'm saying is like, there's a lot of support that's needed around the whole process. And there's so much focus on these things. Like it's just one, you just do one journey and everything's better. That's, that's not what I've, I have not heard that from anyone. <laughs> right. I've well, certainly heard people have a lot of like a really profound experience in one journey. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's no wonder in some ways when the Western medical model um, kind of has this myth or this, yeah, it's a myth about um, that when there's illness, then there's like a treatment for it and the illness gets better. It's very linear and two dimensional. Absolutely. And this is just not like that. It's not. And you know, even like, um, I think it's important to remember that with some of these medicines, you're going in and meeting the medicine. That's your first ceremony. Your first ceremony is getting to know like, oh, who is this that I'm doing healing with? Yep. And if you can drop in and do really profound healing in your first ceremony or journey work, whatever, awesome. But for some people, it's just, it's just enough to be like, oh, Okay this is you mushrooms. Like I'm going to connect to you and get to know you a little bit. And then when we know each other better, I'm going to drop in and do more healing. Like that's a completely reasonable type of experience to have. Yeah. I even hear of people that 
meet the medicine. And then, you know, after when the it's not in their body biologically anymore, you know, days, weeks, months after, then the mushroom speaks to them or they have they feel that connection with it even when, you know, it's passed through their system. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes, that definitely happens. Yeah. I yes. You're very validating. <laughs> Emil, a hundred percent. Yes. Thumbs up. <laughs> like, 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 like. <laughs> oh, I'm having so much dopamine right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, community peace just can't be emphasized enough, I think, with integration. Um, my friend Nikki Silva has this really cool community guide for um, peer-led integration support. And it, it sort of it has... well there are a lot of really amazing premises. And one that I see in that is that just because a person has professional training and credentials doesn't mean that it's the best thing for everyone for, for them to be leading. And that it's so often what happens is that it's not that it's wrong for a credentialed person to be in charge, but it's that it's sort of, I might give my power over to that person and think that they know something more about my journey than what I can know or that that what I can learn from hearing about other people's journeys. And so just like keeping the power in the hands of the participants, um, it's, it's radical. And sh she gave a really great talk at the San Francisco Psychedelic Society that uh, might or might not appear on this show at some point um, about that, that same idea. Have you heard about it? Yeah, so I've, I've read her documents on that her peer support or a, um, like psychedelic, uh, peer support group, um, guide. And I think it's awesome. Like I, I'm a big supporter of that. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, um, I, I agree. I mean, I, I am a psychotherapist, so I obviously see some benefit in seeing a professional. Definitely. I, I, but I'm like, there's like, we don't, they don't need to be mutually exclusive. And mm -hmm. there's just, like, this is just maybe a statement not even about sexual violence and, like, psychedelics and entheogens, but we need more relationship with each other as people. Um, and I think relationship is healing. Connection to community is healing. There's so much suffering and sickness and, like, spiritual sickness that comes from being isolated. Um, and so I think it's definitely a part of integration is being connected with community, either with su survivors of sexual violence, being connected to community that, you know, understands you and relates to you, um, or especially with entheogen use and psychedelic use, like just being around people who are understanding what you're saying and what you're experiencing and validating that it's real, because there's definitely a lot of people who I think, um, you know, just aren't on board with this type of healing. Um, so those things are really important. Um, and even like some of the stuff we've talked about, about reciprocity, uh, in terms of cultural appropriation or being in right relationship to medicine or people like so much of this stuff is just about being in relationship. And, and even what we were talking about with like, um, you know, oppression and emotional labor, uh, like there's just so much about being, being in relationship with other people is a part of how we learn. And it's also a part of how we give back to people who are learning from. So, yes, yes. Is there anything else? Wow. That was really powerful. Is there anything else that you want to share or that you think, um, would bring some good final touches or closure to the conversation? Um, <clears throat> Thank you so much for having me. One, I'm, I'm really honored to be able to speak with you today um, and speak to the people who listen to your show. Um, maybe the last thing, I'll just continuing on, uh, you know, relationship. I'm really interested to hear from people who are listening to the show. I want to know about what people are curious about, like uh, how people are experiencing it, like what kinds of questions people are wishing I would ask. And I know a lot of the episodes are complete, but there are there is room for me to incorporate a little bit more um, from people about uh, kind of questions they're having. Um, so definitely like I'm out here, I'm interested in being in communication um, and being in relationship. And also um, something that some people have suggested to me about this series for people who are really listening to the whole thing and, you know, just in it and it's a part of their healing is to be in listening groups. Um, and I don't know yet if I'm going to have the capacity to host a listening group, but I just want to put it out there to people like you can do that in your community. You know, if there are episodes you're listening to or things that you're coming across in this stuff, 
um, either related to this podcast or otherwise, but around this type of work, um, like reach out to people and build community spaces where you can talk about it. It's like, that is so much, uh, it, it, that is also a very important part of healing. So just want to emphasize that. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, and something that I ask people on the show, um, if, if you have anything to reply is, um, I ask them what their consciousness hack is or what they do to, cause it's consciousness positive radio. So what do you do to engage yourself and your consciousness? <clears throat> well, this is going to probably sound kind of just like whatever I'll just say it. meditate. I mean, just it's, it's, it's very, <laughs> I feel like everybody, you know, would say this, but like meditation is the bomb. Like meditation is really, really, really essential. It's a big part of, I think it's a huge part of doing integration work. For me, it's just like the thing that always brings me back. And it's so simple and in a, as a practice and, and just very resourcing. You can find Inside Eyes on the internet, the website being insideeyespodcast.com. You can follow um, her on Twitter. Is that, do people follow on Twitter? Ay, ay, ay. I'm 30 now, everyone, and um, I really need to get the lingo down. But uh, on Twitter, it looks like at inside underscore eyes would be the location. On Instagram, you can find Laura at Laura Main Northrup. That's L-A-U-R-A-M-A-E-N-O-R-T-H-R-U-P. And finally, um, Facebook, same thing. The email for the show is insideeyespodcast at gmail.com. And one final point. Um, after our interview, I spoke with Laura, and she clarified that the reason she was in a community that was not wanting to engage with police in response to sexual violence is because she doesn't support state-sanctioned violence and the prison industrial complex. It's not that some forms of sexual violence aren't bad enough to go to the police or that it's just because police can be re-traumatizing to survivors. Just wanted to clarify that. Thank you all again for listening. The Psychologist is Consciousness Positive Radio. Find us everywhere podcasts are hosted. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at thepsychologist.com.